Sexual assault, sexual abuse, uh, it's the most underreported crime. One in four women, one in six men. Report it. And it affected our marriage greatly because I thought that if I shared that with you, that you would just reject me and leave me. And so when you responded out of love in that moment, that built a huge trust with me knowing that you cared and you weren't going to reject me. And so we have to sometimes dig into those hard, hard places and be willing to say, okay, Lord, I, I need to give this to you and I don't know what to do with it, but I'm going to start that process. But when people have done ungodly, wicked things to us, we have to also have a way to be cleansed from that. And God does cleanse us from that. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He wants freedom for both of us as a husband and wife. Well, like we like to say, you're not defined by what has been done by you or what has been done to you, but by what Jesus has done for you. Hi friends, this is The Real Marriage Podcast with Mark and Grace Driscoll. Our story is not perfect, our marriage is not perfect, but thankfully, our God is perfect. Well, Grace, uh, today is a bit heavy. We're talking about fear, abuse, and the freedom we all desire. And I wanna share that it isn't always about the absence of something that makes our marriage struggle. Sometimes, as we learn, it's the presence of things like abuse from the past that are causing us issues. So we're going to jump into all of that right now. Sometimes in marriage, we think, gosh, I've done all the right things. Like we're going to church, we're praying, we're reading our Bible, but we're not close. We have problems. The intimacy's not there. What are we missing? It, it may not be the absence of anything. It may be the presence of something. And we had this experience in our marriage um, Babe, why don't you start by talking about that night? I think it was after our youngest son was born. I think we were upstairs and you were folding laundry. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't folding laundry. <laughs> I prayed about no. it, didn't feel led. So you were folding laundry. I'm not folding laundry and we're just having a conversation. Yeah, uh, we were just chatting and... How, how many years do you think we were married at that point? 12. Okay, so we'd been together... 16, 17 years at Mm -hmm. that point. And we had five kids Mm -hmm. and we're in ministry. And you just happened to ask me about something from my past. And we had talked about my past and ex-boyfriend and that sort of thing. But you asked a very specific question and things about what happened in that relationship. And I just started to tell you as I was folding laundry, like no big deal, just, you know, conversation continues to go. And you started crying and I didn't know what had happened. And all of a sudden you said, you were abused. And I said, no, I wasn't. It was just, you know, he was just a bad guy and no big deal. I'm fine. And you just kept coming back to know you were abused. That was an abusive relationship and we got to get this figured out because this is affecting you. And I remember you saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have brought it up. We don't mm-hmm. need to talk about it. Let's change the subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, for me, in that moment, the girl of my dreams made sense. Mm-hmm. Before then, I felt like every day I had a puzzle I was trying to put together, but a bunch of the pieces were missing. Like, I can't figure this out. I think I told you at some points, I said, I love you with all my heart. And I know you love me, but it feels like you live in a bank vault and I don't have the code. Mm -hmm. And so every day I'm trying to pick the lock. Yeah, I had a lot of fear. 
a lot of fear. And I was like, what? And, I, and, and there would be days that I would, what's wrong with me? Why, you know, why, why, why does she not want to be with me? There would be days I'd be like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And it was because there was not the absence of a love for God or study of the scriptures or prayer. I mean, we're a ministry couple, faithful to each other, mm-hmm. loving, serving Jesus. <clears throat> it wasn't the present. It wasn't, it wasn't the absence of something that we should have added to the relationship. It was the presence of something that was there even before we came together. Mm-hmm. It's demonic. It was demonic. And I think one of the demonic lies is, well, that happened in the past. Therefore, it's not in the present. It won't be in the future. Uh, just because it's in the past doesn't mean it's not in the present, doesn't mean it won't be in the future unless it's buried with Jesus. Otherwise, you're carrying it. Yeah, and I hadn't healed. No, you hadn't even recognized what it was. Mm-hmm. And so for me in that moment, when we had, you know, our, our youngest son was born, we then had the five kids. God gave me a supernatural ability because I, I was a very, um, not saying I'm healed or cured of this, but a very selfish driven alpha male. That's mm-hmm. me. And in that moment, I stopped thinking like a husband and I started to think like a dad. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest gifts that God has given me, and I think that he gives to any man, is a daughter. Once you went into protective mode. I went. I thought, okay, because you were a young girl when these things happened. And... Um, and I wasn't there to protect you. Mm-hmm. And once I met you, being defender protector has been job one for me every day since. Um, and I started to think, gosh, if this was one of my daughters. And I had blamed myself. So I had taken responsibility for what happened to me rather than even thinking about putting any of that responsibility on my abusive boyfriend. So sexual assault, sexual abuse. Uh, it's the most underreported crime. Mm-hmm. Um, one in four women, one in six men. Report it. Mm-hmm. Most men aren't going to report it because it's embarrassing for a man to admit that he was overpowered or violated or manipulated, usually by an older male. Many women don't report it because there's a lot of shame and stigma with it. Uh, sometimes they afraid of, They're afraid of the abuser acting out. Yeah, they're scared. And or oftentimes the abuse starts in a non-abusive relationship that becomes abusive. And as a result, it's confusing as to whether or not it was abuse, Mm -hmm. which was your situation. Yeah. It was a grooming process and a lot of building up and then cutting down and building up and cutting down and thinking somehow it was me that was doing all the wrong things that would make him upset. And you find this a lot in abusive relationships, let's say dating relationships. I mean, we've been doing this long enough. I'll never forget uh, the conversation I had with a young woman. I was a young pastor many years ago. She came up to me for prayer after the service and she said, can you pray for me, Pastor Mark? I said, yeah, I'm happy to do that. I said, what can I pray for you? She said, well, just pray that I don't make my boyfriend angry anymore. Mm. And I said, what's happening? She said, well, he hits me. I said, he shouldn't hit you ever. She said, well, it's my fault because I make him angry. Please pray that I stop making him angry. And and that was a grooming relationship process where he was abusing her and then making her feel like she was responsible for the abuse and she was the one that needed to change her behavior for the abuse to stop. It's horrible. It's it's horrible. So, you know, what what you experienced is um, defilement. Mm -hmm. And here's one of the great weaknesses of... Christian teaching on the gospel, 
it is often stated, uh, if you confess your sins, Jesus will forgive you, which is true, but it's not everything the Bible says. The problem is not only do we sin, but we're sinned against. If you were raped, if you were abused, if you were cheated on, if you were betrayed, you can't say, Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. And so many Christians know what to do with the sins that they commit, but they don't know what to do with the sins that were committed against them. And so, you know, the language in the Bible is one of defilement. We see this in Genesis 3. Spiritual warfare starts with our first parents, Adam and Eve. They, they know they're naked. They have shame. They cover up and they hide. That's a defiled person. Um, you and I have been doing this a long time. You were very brave to share your story in the Real Marriage book. But for all the women and men that we have dealt with that have been uh, victims of assault or abuse, particularly of a sexual nature, all the conversations we've had, what tends to be the very first thing that they do after that assault? They take a shower. Why do they take a shower? Because they feel dirty and they're trying to wash it off somehow, even though that may sound impossible. In the moment, it's the only thing they can think of doing to cleanse themselves. And so what they really need is Jesus Mm -hmm. because... Their soul needs cleansing. Their soul needs cleansing. And this is where in the Bible, places become defiled. That's why the Jews would walk around Samaria. It was a defiled nation. Objects can become defiled, like the marriage bed. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 13, 4, let the marriage bed be undefiled. And also people can feel unclean or dirty. And the Bible uses all of this language of unclean, defiled, filthy, impure. As you read the Old Testament, there's all these rituals for cleansing. All of this is showing externally what Jesus does internally. And that is that not only are we forgiven, we are made clean. Theologically, this is the doctrine of expiation, that Jesus doesn't just forgive us, he makes us clean. So let me ask you this, baby. Um, For sins that you've committed and sins that have been committed against you, if you only believe that you're forgiven, but you don't know that you're clean, what difference does that make? You still live in shame and you don't feel clean completely because you don't know what to do with what others have done to you, which is expiation. That's when you're clean cleansed from all unrighteousness, things that were done to you and not just the things you've done. We, of course, need to own our own sin and ask the Lord to forgive us. But when people have done ungodly, wicked things to us, we have to also have a way to be cleansed from that. And God does cleanse us from that. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so that is the process of expiation where we ask the Lord to cleanse us from that, whether it's going through a healing process of um, knowing our identity again, knowing our value again in the Lord, and that we don't have to live under the shame of what someone else has done to us, that we're pure in God's eyes through Christ. Um, Maybe it's forgiving the person that abused us. That's part of the process. It doesn't mean they just get to go scot-free. There is judgment. God knows all of our actions. And if a crime is committed, call the police. Yes, report that for sure, no matter who it is. Um, I mean, there's there's an outlined process and it's different and yet the same, a lot of similarities for each abuse victim. Um, But I think in order to be healed and move forward and fully cleanse from that, we do have to go through some of those steps to know that 
we are seen as God's daughters. We are valued as God's daughters. We don't have to live under whatever um, evil identity that has been given to us through an abuser. Well, like we like to say, you're not defined by what has been done by you or what has been done to you, but by what Jesus has done for for you. you. And that, that's the key to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, if memory serves me correct, the first person in the Bible that is called defiled is Dinah. Mm -hmm. She's in the book of Genesis. She's a sexual assault victim. She's a younger woman. Um, And it says that she was defiled. And then you alluded to it in 1 John. I'll just read it. Uh, A lot of Christians know this scripture. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses, some translations say, purifies us from all sin. Mm -hmm. That would include the sins that we commit. And so people get defiled through sins they commit. Absolutely, we all do. Particularly in the sexual realm. So you and I, we were not virgins when we met. We were sexually active before we got married. We were sexually active before I got saved. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was my sin against the Lord and you before we met and after we met. And then also there were things that were done to you that you were a victim of, not responsible for. Um, And it says that Jesus cleanses us from or purifies us from all unrighteousness. How hard do you think it is for someone who has both committed sin that defiles them, particularly in the sexual realm, and sins that have been committed against them, particularly in the sexual realm, to actually believe that these words from 1 John 1 are 100% true, not for everybody, but also for them? I didn't believe it for a long time because I thought I had participated in that abuse. And so it was too blurry of a line to put that just on the abuser. And so it's really, it sounds great to say, yeah, you know, Jesus forgives me for my sins, but I didn't believe that my sin of someone abusing me was forgivable or that he could actually cleanse me from that, that somehow that was outside of the cross. And, and so it took me studying the word and praying through and lots of tears and a healing process, a grieving process, because it's a loss when someone takes that from you. Um, But it doesn't mean that you can't be healed. It just means that you have to grieve that and ask the Lord to renew that for you. And it affected our marriage greatly because I didn't, I thought that if I shared that with you and tried to dive into what that even looked like, that you would just reject me and leave me. And so I believe the lie that, first of all, my identity was messed up and I, I didn't think I was good enough for you. But then if I you know, share this hard place in my life, then you would just abandon me. And then what do I have? Nothing. And so I was just gonna be, you know, I was gonna just do my best to love you and serve you and be with you and hope that it worked out. But that's not how God works. He wants freedom for mm-hmm. both of us as a husband and wife. And so we have to sometimes dig into those hard, hard places and be willing to say, okay, Lord, I, I need to give this to you and I don't know what to do with it, but I'm gonna start that process. And that built trust at that point in our marriage in a way that we didn't understand we hadn't had trust yet. And so when you responded out of love in that moment, instead of out of frustration with me or um, anger you know, at me, um, that built 
a huge trust with me knowing that you cared and you weren't going to reject me and you did want to stay with me and you did want to walk that process with me. And so that was a pivotal point in our marriage that I had never entrusted to you before. And God used that moment to put us on the trajectory we are now on and continuing to build that trust. And it opened your heart in a way that I never could have imagined. Well, and it was lonely for both of us. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know why. You know, I don't know if I shared it with you. In that moment, um, I remember just going, okay, God, this feels like one of those moments that if I don't get this right, it's all going to go wrong. Mm -hmm. And five kids. And five kids and ministry Mm -hmm. and fast-growing ministry Mm -hmm. and pickets, protests, death threats, hater blogs. I mean— It's a lot of pressure. Good glory. Yeah, I mean, yeah, everything outside was just a powder keg of pressure and complexity. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, the center of, you know, my universe, which is Jesus, you, and the kids, um, you know, now we've, we've found something that we previously weren't aware of. Mm-hmm. You, didn't, you didn't withhold it from me. You didn't see the data. I didn't have a category for it because I thought I deserved it. So to me, it wasn't abuse. It was what I deserved. And I think a lot of victims feel that way. They're like, well, I was drinking and then I got abused, but it was kind of my fault because I was drinking. Or, you know, we were dating and sexually active and then I wanted to pull back and they didn't and they abused me, but it's kind of my fault because I'd already crossed the line with them. Mm-hmm. All of which is not true, mm-hmm. but it's Satan is a liar and he's the yeah. father of lies and, and he lies to us about sometimes the most painful things in our life. Mm-hmm. But in that, I'll never forget that night. I, I remember really just kind of feeling in shock. Like I'd known you for so many years and I absolutely adored you. You're my favorite person on planet earth. (laughs) And I was just trying to get my head around, okay, what do I do? How do I respond? How do I, how do I, how do I love and help? And you know, where do we go from here? And because we were a, you know, highly public ministry couple, who we confided in, who we invited in, we had to be really careful with Mattered, that. Mattered, yeah. And uh, a lot of the people around us were not safe or trustworthy. Mm-mm. So it was a very complex no. situation for us. Um, but God spoke to me that night. And so I appreciate you being kind with your words to me. But I want to give credit to the Lord. In that moment, God spoke to me. And he said, uh, I need you to love my daughter. Mm. And I just remember thinking, I've been so selfish thinking grace is my wife. I have forgotten that grace is his daughter. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking, okay, I got two girls and you know how I feel about the girls. (laughs) If something happened to my daughters, I would absolutely want their husband to have the father's heart. Mm -hmm. And up until that moment in our marriage, I was selfish and proud and just thinking, you know, I'm going to go slay dragons and climb mountains and (laughs) conquer enemies. And you're supposed to be my helper (laughs) and uh, make my life easier and better. And it was selfish and it was proud based upon our previous conversation in another episode. Um, But in that moment, God got my head on straight. And it was like long before you were my wife, you were his daughter. And that I needed to love his, I didn't, it's not that I needed to love his daughter. Um, I felt in that moment that God honored me with a sacred mission that he couldn't trust every man for. Mm, that's beautiful. You know, it was because it wasn't like, God, this is a hard situation. Why yeah. did you do this to me? It's like, I think God sends the toughest soldiers on the hardest missions. Yeah. And for me, 
this was a hard mission, but it meant that uh, you were his daughter and he trusted me to protect and to love his daughter. Mm -hmm. And being a dad changed everything for me. Yeah. Uh, looking at my girls and any of you men who hear this and you got daughters, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so if this is a situation in your relationship, what would you give as next steps? And let me, as you're thinking about your answer there, babe, there are some rituals in the Bible that remind us that we're cleansed. This is why God's people underwent ceremonial washings before they went to worship. It's why they put on white. It's why they would clean their house. So every time you brush your teeth, every time you do your laundry, every time you wash your car, every time you do your dishes, every time you vacuum your house, remind yourself, in Christ, I'm clean. And even if you've done something recently, he's still cleaning. You're not dirty, you're not defiled, you're not damaged. You're clean in God's sight. And just like we continually clean things in our house, God's continually cleaning things in our life to make us clean. For those that understand now there's some defilement, there's some brokenness, there's some filth, either from what I've done or what has been done to me, what would some encouragements be for you for the beginning of that cleansing and healing process? For me, it was on my knees before the Lord. What does this look like to heal from? And that was an emotionally pretty wrecking time for you. It was, yeah. I mean, I honestly didn't have time for it because I had five small children. And so as far as convenience, it wasn't a time in my life where I thought, oh yeah, this is perfect. I got lots of extra yeah, space Yeah, we're retired now, <laughs> nothing else to do. Yeah. But it was God's timing. And he knew that I loved you. He knew that I loved my kids and I didn't want to stay broken. <laughs> and so for me, it was trusting the Lord more than I'd ever trusted him and asking him to meet me where I was at in a broken place and making me whole. And so I got on my knees and said, I can't do this, Lord. I need you desperately. Thank you for a husband that loves me and wants to respond lovingly to this. And for me, it was finding a wise counselor that had dealt with trauma and abuse. It was um, entrusting one or two women that had been through abuse or something similar that I knew I could trust. They'd be a bank vault for me whenever I needed to talk. For me, it was um, joining a group um, for healing and that had good and bad to it. And <laughs> the Lord challenged me in that. But I had to ask the Lord for courage every single day because I didn't have it in me to continue the process. It was too hard. But now looking back on the other side of it, I, I wouldn't change that process for anything because now I am more whole. I am. I can say that the Lord loves me fully and that I am forgiven and I am cleansed and that I'm not dirty anymore. And I can help women that feel that same thing and go through that same process with them. I, I was able to protect my daughters from having to experience that because I know what abuse looks like. I know the manipulations of abusers. And so it gave me wisdom 
wisdom. It gave me discernment and it gave me an ability to help women who feel at a loss and don't know how to heal. Um, and for you, you've been able to help husbands and and be bold and speak the stories. Not everybody tells their story publicly and that's not what I'm saying everyone has to do. But I think if, you, if God asks you to do that and to help women after you've healed, that's great, but you need to be healed first. And, and that was the process that God took me through and it took time. It wasn't an overnight thing. And I'm thankful that he um, gave me direction and wisdom. I couldn't have done it without the Lord. I couldn't have done it without you and those friends who helped walk me through that season. But it brought everything into the light, which is where Jesus is. Well, and it was in that, moment, fold and laundry, that I think uh, saved our marriage. Yeah. The one thing we didn't want to deal with was the one thing that God used to really begin healing for everything. Yeah. And uh, I'm proud of you. I want to publicly honor you and thank you for being honest and brave and helping. I love you with all my heart. And um, on the doctrine of expiation, in Revelation 19, it talks about another bride, Jesus' bride, the church. Mm-hmm. And it says at the end, uh, the culmination of human history is like a wedding, mm. which is why Satan is declaring war all the time against marriages and, and against uh, God's people. At that wedding supper of the Lamb, that great, the, it'll be the last wedding in the history of the universe. Uh, will be Jesus and his, his bride, the church. And then it says in Revelation 19 that the bride was given fine, pure white linen to wear. Mm. I love that. I, I love that too. So so why does a wife wear white on her wedding day? Because in God's eyes, she's pure. She's, she's not dirty. She's clean. Mm-hmm. She's not defiled. She's pure. And if the children of God are going to wear white forever, then the children of God can start wearing white today. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. And so white, healing. friends, isn't just for your wedding day. It's for every day. If we walk in the light, be honest. As he is in the light, he'll meet us in the truth. We have fellowship with one another. It builds the relationship between the husband and the wife Mm -hmm. and the blood of Jesus cleanses, purifies from all the unrighteousness. Yes, amen. I feel inclined to ask, could you pray for those that this is part of their story and now they got to figure out what the healing process looks for them? Dear Lord, thank you for being our creator. Thank you for giving us value as women. Thank you that you see all and you know all and you can walk us through. You bind up the brokenhearted, Lord. And when that is through abuse, Lord, it can be tragic and reap tragic things in a woman's life. So Lord, I pray that you would give women courage to say this is their story. It's part of their story. And I pray that they would go to you first, Lord, that they would get on their knees and ask you for help because you are faithful and you love them deeply. So Lord, I pray that they would be willing to have courage for this, that they would be willing to walk through the healing journey. I pray that if they're married, that their spouses would come alongside and that this would grow their relationship together, that it would bind them together and unify them and make them one, Lord, that it would not cause division. And I pray against the enemy's tactics with abuse, Lord. This is where he attacks our identity again and again. And Lord, this is not how we are defined. So I pray for healing for these women that have suffered greatly under abuse. And I just pray that you would heal them in Jesus' name. Amen.